Texans All Access. Let's gear up with some Papa John's picks for $6. That's right, a variety of items for only $6 each. The Vanderkids are going to love this. Meatballs, chicken poppers, garlic knots, breadsticks, whatever you want. $6 each. Papa John's no contact delivery available. Papa John's Houston. Houston owned and operated for 25 years. Order online at papajohns.com or on the app. Hello, Texans, and welcome. Merry Christmas. It's a Christmas Eve special edition of Texans All Access. And, you know, it's always special on a Thursday because we have John McClain, the general from the Houston Chronicle, joining us. John Harris, of course, is with us. And Merry Christmas, guys. Great to have you along. Let's have some fun on Christmas Eve. General, how's it going? It's going great, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. It's uh, it's always uh, the most wonderful time of the year. I've always gotten in Christmas since I was a little kid and Carol and I get into it. We decorate house decorated. Uh, we always have a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's such a, a tough thing sometimes because, you know, there's a lot of holiday stress out there getting all the gifts done or whatever you do for the holidays. And there's also this thing called football, like professional <laughs> football and, and the bowl games and everything else. Like, those of us in the biz have a lot of things going on this time of year. I think Christmas should be moved to like February. It would really be much more convenient for me. I guess that's not going to happen. But general, how have you navigated through all those uh, issues over the years with scheduling and things like that? I know it's a luxury problem, but tell me. Yeah, I've been doing it so long for decades. I don't, I can't even tell you when Christmas is till about three days before. That's when I have to do my rush job to get Carol 12 presents for the 12 days of Christmas. But I've got most of it down, and uh, this year I didn't get out and go to stores like I usually do because of the pandemic. And it's interesting when you, we're in this business, I know people get days off. And this year, because of uh, Christmas coming on Friday, and the Chronicle wants our stories in early Thursday because of early deadlines, I'm going to be able, and all my talk shows, usually I do five talk shows, on Friday, and I am doing an hour on Sports Radio 610 from uh, 1 to 2, but all my other talk shows are taking a day off. So that'll be the only day of the week that I only do one talk show. General, do you have, over the years that you've covered Oilers, Texans, NFL, do you have a Christmas or holiday story that you remember more than than most because I remember this one four years ago in 2016 when we played the Bengals on Christmas Eve night and Randy Bullock pushed the field goal wide right and that gave the Texans AFC South and that's the one I always remember do you have one over the years that you remember more than most um, from a Christmas or a holiday story that's the one I remember the most from um, from uh, the Texans and there were two that I remember from the Oilers they played in San Francisco back when the 49ers played in San, San Francisco on Christmas Day, and they beat Steve Young and the 49ers out there, and uh, uh, they were winning. They were on their way to another playoff appearance. They went seven years in a row, which was the most in the NFL, but they couldn't get beyond the second round of the playoffs, just like the Texans. But they beat Young and Jerry Rice and the 49ers, and Bud Adams gave Jack Pardee the coach an extension. And another one I remember was in 1995. The, uh, everybody thought the Oilers were moving 
after the 95 season of Nashville turned out to be 96. And so they played in Buffalo on Christmas Eve. And I've never had a white Christmas. I've always wanted a white Christmas at home. And someday when I'm done and uh, I'm retired, I'm good. Carol and I are going to go somewhere where we're guaranteed to get into white Christmas. But uh, in that instance, uh, the guy that worked with me, Carlton Thompson, had never seen snow. He was from Hitchcock, and he'd never seen it till he started covering the NFL. And uh, we were, we had like a 5 a.m. flight from Buffalo to Newark to get back to Houston. And when we got up that morning, it was snowing like crazy. And we went down to the lobby to check out, and we were like, two little kids. I had seen snow, of course, but he was so excited to see snow. And the woman behind the counter was half asleep. And she said, what are y'all so excited about? And we said, it's snowing. <laughs> and she looked at us like we were nuts. And, uh, but I'll never forget that. And uh, of course, there was loss to the bills, but that's as close as I've ever come to a white Christmas, but it was a white Christmas Eve. All right, John, I have, I have some Christmas questions for you, and some of them revolve around Christmas movies and entertainment because it is Christmas Eve, and let's have some fun. But let's get to some of the news of the week with the Texans and the interviews, and we all know that the Texans uh, have talked to Jim Caldwell, Marvin Lewis, people like that. Matt Bazargan as a GM candidate internally. Lewis Riddick last week, we hit on him in last week's show. But what do you make of what they're doing here so far and the new rule uh, that opens things up a bit to talk to some people before the end of the season. What are you thinking? Well, they're not participating in that uh, two-week window because it's stupid. Why would you want to interview a coach, even if you could get uh, permission from the team? And it's like Romeo Cornell said, he didn't know how a coach would have two hours to spend on a Zoom interview with a team. We are going to hire the general manager first. And I was on with Clint Sterner on 610 uh, – on Wednesday, uh, and he said, well, I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of the opportunity. I said, okay, here's the deal. Say Cal McNair and Jed Hughes and Jamie Rhodes uh, try to get permission to say Eric Bieniemy, And Bieniemy might say no, even if the chief said yes, because he's trying to win a Super Bowl. And he knows they're interested in him. So, but say he does it and they interview him. And then when they hire their general manager, they're going to have to interview him again. And then he, when he makes the finalist, They'd have to interview him again. And depending on if they had a list of five cut down to two, they might have to do it again. That's overkill. They don't need that much. You know, and Clint said, well, he could tell them if he's interested or not. Well, they know through his agent that he's interested. And so are a lot of them. Another example to use, and I wrote about this in my Friday, in my Thursday column. What if uh, they wanted to interview Arthur Smith right before they play the Titans? Well, you think Mike Vrabel's going to allow it? But say he did. And while they're interviewing Arthur, well, Arthur, before, uh, if we hire you, how are you going to contain Derrick Henry? How are you going to shut down Ryan Tannehill? This is yeah. right before. They, so this rule is preposterous. And it serves no purpose. And I tried to check with people in the league, and they had no idea why the league did it the way they did it. And as far as the other candidates, Jim Caldwell's going to be 66 in the middle of in the middle of January. He had health issues. He's moved beyond it. 
but he's been on Super Bowl teams, Super Bowl winners. He's a good offensive coach, and he's been involved in personnel. So you pick their brain, not just about your team, but about your 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 players, about culture, about uh, you want you were on two Super Bowl winners, and, and try to find out ways that they did it behind the scenes. Same way with Marvin Lewis. Now, Bill O'Brien had two more wins in the playoffs than Marvin Lewis, but Marvin won a Super Bowl ring as a defensive coach. Marvin also was in charge of personnel. So you could talk to him about personnel, which the general manager will be in control of here, and you can talk to him about coaching. I think it's smart to talk to Matt Bazinger. Uh, I was asked, well, why would they want to talk to him? He's been there this season when the team's been terrible, made a lot of bad moves. I said, okay. He was there when they went 11-5 and five and 10-6 and six and won the division in the playoff game. Do you think he went brain dead over one summer? I don't think so. So I think it's smart. Who knows more about this team right now than Matt Bazargan? He's watched tape. He's watched every game. He's watched every practice. It's smart to pick Matt's brain about this team, and he's seen everything behind the scenes. I'd want to know what he thought. Man, if you were in charge, how would you run it? The one thing we know, they're going back to the model originally. Charlie Cashley, Dom Capers, Rick Smith, Gary Kubiak, and Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien until Bill started trying to get the power of the general manager has control of personnel and the head coach has control of the coaching staff and the game day roster. And I am writing for Friday my list of the top personnel people in the league and why they should consider them. And there's a couple examples of you could get a package deal. What if they wanted to, to hire Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, and their assistant GM, Ed Dodds, is going to get a job, get him as a package deal. And then you weaken the opponent as well. And when Eric Bieniemy, Chris Shea, uh, right-hand man for Brett Beach and uh, – the GM and Andy Reid. He could be a package deal with Eric Mianami. There are a few of the possibilities out there. John, as it pertains to Marvin Lewis, as a head coach in this league, he's at his defensive coordinator at Arizona State. He got back as an analyst for the first year. Then he was defensive coordinator this year, and he worked with a lot of young players, different perspective. Do you think Marvin Lewis will get a head coaching job, whether it's in Houston or otherwise, coming back into the league? Um, I doubt it. And uh, he's, you know, I keep talking about age, but there's so many talented coordinators out there. Marvin was really good at getting to the playoffs, never won a playoff game. Great guy. Everybody liked Marvin Lewis, like everybody liked, likes Jim Caldwell. And who's to say that a new coach here, and I think this is, is paramount, if you get a first-time head coach, you need to have experience. And an example, I think the new head coach should be asked, not ordered, because an owner does not order coaches to do things. And it's not the McNair style. But uh, if you are interested in trying to keep Romeo Cornell as an assistant head coach, here's what we think about him. And we hope you at least consider him. Because as you guys know, Romeo's got experience, he's got knowledge, he's liked, he's respected, he's not a backstabber, he's got no ego, he doesn't gossip, he'd be right there as he was for Bill O'Brien if he needed him, as he was for Anthony Weaver, as he was for Mike Vrabel. 
and and a guy like Marvin Lewis or Jim Caldwell, maybe they're interested in that role in case Romeo isn't. But a, a, a first-time head coach needs experience around him. And I'm not saying do this, but if I'm a first-time head coach and I've got a team that's been running a 3-4 for years and I'm looking for a 3-4 defensive coordinator, there's a pretty good one sitting over in his house in Memorial in Houston eager to get back into the NFL, and that would be Wade Phillips. And Sean McVay did that when he was a first-time head coach. Had Wade in there for two years before he didn't renew his contract, and he hired Brandon, I think, Staley. Um, so uh, I think that's important. And these guys like Marvin Lewis and Jim Caldwell, you never know. You might want them on your staff, like Brian Flores was going to have Caldwell on his staff at Miami. Then he had the health issues. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think uh, both Caldwell and Lewis have some pluses. There's no doubt, but. You never know what the new blood is going to do. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle joining us. All right, so I see Detroit's interviewed Thomas Dimitrov, Rick Smith, Scott Pioli. What about what about Rick Smith? Is he going to get a job? Do you think Pioli absolutely. gets another job? No. I think Rick's going to get one, absolutely. If you think you're – if you're – and he's interviewing, he's interviewing everywhere but here. And Rick's ready to get back in the NFL. He interviewed with Washington last offseason. I think it would be great for him to get back. You know, if you're Rick and you go in, you get a strong endorsement from the NFL. The NFL likes Rick. He was on a competition committee for years. He was instrumental in a lot of the recommendations the competition committee makes to the NFL owners every year. And Rick can go, okay, here's my number one draft choices. And nobody had as many good number one picks as he did. And he can also, you know, there are some other picks he made. and. so I think Rick is, is getting another chance. I think it's great. And I don't know where he's going to go, but I know he will try to – he's going to – I believe he's going to have multiple opportunities. What about Dimitrov? Originally, I heard that he was going to take a year off, which would have been foolish because GMs don't get recycled like head coaches do. And Dimitrov was with the Falcons 12 years. He was two-time NFL executive of the year. They went to the Super Bowl, except for Kyle Shanahan's bad play, Colin. We're gonna, we're, they were going to beat the uh, Patriots right here at NRG Stadium. So he's going to get another job. You know, he grew up with the Browns and then the Patriots. He was an assistant groundskeeper when he got on in person or scouting way down the lower level with Bill Belichick in Cleveland then went to New England. I would have no problem with Thomas Dimitrov. I've said from the get-go they should interview people like him. I'd interview Pioli. I'd interview – like people talk about John Dorsey. John Dorsey is working for the Eagles. Lonzo Highsmith and Reggie McKenzie, they're working with teams. But I would want to interview all those guys to get as much knowledge and information as I could. John, along those lines, and, and maybe this is tricky, but given the fact that's, that head coaching, coaching candidates could interview over the next couple of weeks, what do you think the timing is for this whole situation? Because if you're going to go GM, then head coach, then if you want a GM, and like you said earlier, you want a GM that you want to interview from Kansas City and say Kansas City goes on a run, you can't interview them, I guess, until the end of the Super Bowl. So. What do you think the timing is for all of this for the Texans? 
I think you can, number one, time's not going to be on their side because there's competition. This is, I don't know if it's unprecedented because I don't keep up with this. This is a lot of GM openings. Usually it's the coaches. More coaches are going to come too, but you can't rush it. That'd be the worst thing you could do. One of the reasons Cal McNair says they fired O'Brien when they did was to get a head start on the search. He's got his advisory group. And I'm sure Tony Dungy highly recommended Jim Caldwell, his good buddy, who's been with him for in two places. And um, so I think that you – and people ask me, I'm, people say, well, why don't they hire the head coach first? The only reason you hire the head coach first is if you're going to give him power over personnel. Yep. And there's a lot of people, coaches, that have power over personnel but don't have the GM title off the top of my head. You know, Belichick, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, John Gruden, Ron Rivera, uh, Pete Carroll, all those guys have final say over personnel. And when I said that I thought Lewis Riddick should be working for an NFL team, working his way up to being a personnel director and then the general manager, instead of being out of the league so long, I think it was Wade Smith said, well, look what Mike Mayock and uh, he and, and John Lynch, they went from TV to GM's jobs, and I said, yeah, but the difference is they don't have final say over personnel. Those GM's that don't, they're like uh, head of personnel right under the head coach, and then they're like director of football operations. They handle all the things football ops has, like Jack Easterby did this season uh, for Bill O'Brien, while Bill handled personnel and coaching. So uh, I think that uh, you have to be very careful you move fast. Once the season's over and they can start interviewing people, you know, they're going to, they will expedite the process. Right now, they're interviewing to gather information. Uh, and those guys they talk to may get second interviews when the GM's in place. John, I was going to ask you who's winning the division, but I think we all know it's Tennessee unless they melt down here. And it is a possibility, I guess, because look at the NFL, look at the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. But let's take the division first. Who goes further in the postseason? I know it's a lot of people picking the Titans to win at Green Bay. I never picked the Packers to lose at Lambeau Field like I used to never pick the Patriots to lose at Gillette Stadium, and that served me very well through the decades. So I went with the Packers, and I think they'll get on-field advantage in the NFC. I think the Titans and the Colts will lose. And the Titans will win the division, beat the Texans, win the division, and both of them will make the playoffs. But what about in the playoffs? What happens then? I think the only team capable of beating Kansas City is a team that can run the ball and keep Patrick Mahomes on the bench the way the Texans did last year in Kansas City when they ran for, I think it was 188 yards. Mahomes threw three touchdown passes, but the Texans dominated time of possession. And the team that can do that better than any is Tennessee. You know, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill's playing great. Just had five touchdowns, three running, two passing. And Baltimore and Tennessee are the best running teams. The difference is Baltimore has a good defense. Tennessee's defense is very average. That's why I don't think anybody is going to be the Chiefs. Now, if you're a Texans fan, you should want the Colts to miss the playoffs because that way they could ask for permission to talk to – Ed Dodds, the assistant GM, if they want him, and he's very, very talented. And then they could talk to Matt Eberflus, 
you know, if you get, if you go for like a GM, like Ed Dodge or Chris Shea at Kansas city, they know their coverage. You know, they could be talking to the guys about it right now. We don't know because people say those guys are going to be general managers. There seems to me to be more really talented, successful personnel guys from consistently successful organizations to be general managers than there are head coaches. General, we talk all about general managers, head coaches. We're lucky in Houston we have a starting quarterback and hopefully have him for a very, very long time. We are lucky. Some teams are not as such. The Titans were one of those teams because Marcus Mariota was not getting it done. Then all of a sudden, Ryan Tannehill fell from the clouds and turned into one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So I go back to Mariota. Do you think Mariota can resurrect his career somewhat like Tannehill? And do you think there's any chance that John Gruden makes a decision to go with Mariota over Derek Carr at some point? Marcus Mariota has done a really good job in his limited time with John Gruden. And I'm not going to say can't because I never thought Ryan Tannehill would play like this. When the Titans let Mariota go, and uh, John Robinson, I did a charity event with him in Nashville, and I told people getting Ryan Tannehill in here could be one of the best deals this franchise ever made. And it was only because I knew they were going to play him differently than Miami had. And it also revolved around Derrick Henry and the, and the great play action game they have because of Henry. But Mariota could not excel consistently. He got hurt a lot. You know, we saw him a lot against the Texans. And he just never stood out. But if you go to the right situation and the right coach with the right people around you, you got talent. There's a reason Mariota was the second pick in the back draft behind Jameis Winston. And I say this, Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator, that's another guy the Texans should interview. Arthur Smith is, has been with the Titans 10 years through four head coaches. They all kept him on the team. And then Mike Vrabel saw enough in him to make him the coordinator. That was a great move because their team, for a running team, they got the, they're tied for most points scoring in the league, 31 points a game for a team that runs the ball so much. And he, Arthur Smith, they've just decided up there they know they're going to lose him. The question for Vrabel is who's going to replace him and be the next coordinator because those will be real big shoes to fill. John, what's the better iconic Christmas TV special, Rudolph or Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the one with the Burgermeister and the Snowmeister or whatever that one is? Which one do you think? Well, my favorite is, and my wife has everything that she likes to watch. So I like to watch The Grinch, but I also like Rudolph because when I was a child, I think other than Santa, Rudolph was the first Christmas character I heard about. And then I remember Gene Autry singing Rudolph. I think he was the first to sing it, the late actor slash angels owner. Right. And so I've always had an affinity for Rudolph. And there's some great Christmas commercials out there. And one that I like the most is maybe my all-time favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. Have you seen the <laughs> Die Hard commercial where Bruce Willis has to get a Die Hard battery and bad guys are chasing him? And the two main characters from uh, Die Hard, the original in 1988, are there to help him. I'm thinking, man, they paid Bruce Willis a lot of money to make that commercial. But I think it is hilarious. It's All right, General. Idea. All right, General. Let's go either or. 
on more recent Christmas films? The Grinch starring Jim Carrey or Elf with Will Ferrell? I I would take The Grinch just because I like The Grinch more and I've never been a Will Ferrell fan because I've never thought he was funny. Wow. You never, That's strong oh, stuff. Wow. I know I'm in the minority. No, but I got a good one for you here. Why hasn't anyone rebooted It's a Wonderful Life? They've rebooted a lot of classics and bombed out. And, of course, that is a classic with James Stewart. And, uh, and by the way, of all the Scrooges, I don't like them when they're in color. I like them when they're black and white. And we like the first one that was made in the 30s because I'm amazed at the special effects for the ghosts of Christmas past that come back. But that's an interesting question about It's a Wonderful Life. It is a Christmas movie. It only gets played certain times of the year. And today it costs so much money to make a movie. You want one that's going to be replayed over and over and streamed over and over, not just in December. Mm. Uh, well, look, Mar Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, I think is the number one song in the country like every year at, um, at this time of year, right? So I think there's some value in that, General. I'm surprised no one's rebooted it. And I like the way they did Scrooge with Bill Murray because it is so different, and why not make it different and make it modernized? Because to me, that's, that's definitely one of my favorite Christmas movies every year. Oh, mine too, and I've seen them all, but I still like the black and whites. When it's, I don't know what it is about Christmas, white Christmas. Mm -hmm. I like the black and white version better than the color version. Yep. And as far as Mariah Carey, I think a lot of that is Mariah Carey and all those little sexy outfits she wears when she's singing it. <laughs> but and you it's can't also the see her when you're on the radio, which is on the radio. No, but, no, but you've seen the video and you've seen her on online i know you guys don't pay attention to things like that of course not uh no, theater of the mind johnny theater yeah. of the mind and yeah, I besides know. i mean this i think people visualize the love actually scene also because Ooh. that movie has kept that song going even though she doesn't sing the one in the movie it still keeps that song going and sounds close enough all right general thanks so much for the time and we will visit soon merry christmas merry christmas to you mark and john happy holidays and i will talk to you soon and thank you very much for having me as always as always, the general from the Houston Chronicle coming up, deep tracks, memories of the Bengals, but not the ones you're thinking of. We're going to go deep and also my Christmas Texans memories coming up here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. It's Texans Radio. Merry Christmas, Christmas Eve edition with the Texans taking on the Bengals on Sunday. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, you asked... John McClain about his Texans Christmas memories. Of course, the Randy Bullock missed field goal on Christmas Eve came up. Yeah. But there are some other memories as well. And it's funny because we talked, I, I teased this too, deep album cuts of Bengals Texans memories, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we all talk about, you know, we talk about the playoff games, although we don't talk about the second one much, but that was a win. Yeah. Uh, we true. talk about the Christmas Eve game, the Monday night football game, you know, that kind of stuff. But there are some other ones. Of course, the division clincher in 2011. But let's get to this first. Christmas Eve 2006, Texans beating the Colts. To me, oh, yeah. I got to say that's – look, it's, it's longer ago. It was 10 years before the Randy Bullock one occurred. 10 years to the day wow. uh, before the Randy Bullock one occurred. But that was so special to beat them for the first time ever with Chris Brown hitting that field goal. But I got some others for you. Okay. I got some others for you. Okay. Now, 
Not Christmas Eve necessarily, all right? Okay. But how about 2004, we flew to Jacksonville on Christmas Day for a road game the next day, which, you know, this, this is the third year of the franchise, and it was yeah. very early still. And it was the first time, I remember it was snowing that day on Christmas Day in Houston. So on the way Ooh. to the airport, it was snowing. Oh. And I'll never oh. forget that because oh. it was the first time I saw snow in Houston. You know, yeah. I've seen plenty of snow in my life. Of course. Uh, I saw snow in Houston, and that was notable to me. And we flew out, and you could see the rooftop still covered with some snow as oh. we were flying to Jacksonville. And it was, and in Jacksonville, Dave and Buster's was open on Christmas Day. Thank goodness. There was somewhere to go, and you know exactly where that is near the hotel. Yes. Yes. And we beat the Jags on the 26th. But it was weird because, you know, we weren't with our families on Christmas Day. But yeah. we were with each other, and you weren't on the crew yet. Yeah. But we had a we had a really nice time, and um, and the Texans won, so that was a good day. I'll never forget that as a Christmas Texans memory. I I can't believe that Dave and Buster's was open. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I really I really can't. I remember when when Paige and I got married back you know twenty five years ago. So it was our twenty fifth anniversary uh, about uh, nine days ago, and so we were, we were teachers at the time. So we didn't have that much money. So we were going to honeymoon in New Orleans, which was really fun. We were living in Jacksonville. So we were going to drive the whole thing. So uh -huh. we drove to, drove to New Orleans at our honeymoon. Then we drove to Houston and we spent, uh, we spent the, the days leading up to Christmas in Houston. Then we we're going to drive to North Carolina to see Paige's parents. We left on Christmas day and there was nothing open on Christmas day. Like we were going and see all these places you know, hey, let's stop to eat. Let's stop to eat. And the only place open along the way was IHOP and Waffle House. And that is not in my wife's wheelhouse. Oh. And so the fact that David Buster's, because she would have liked to have gone to David Buster's, was open. And that's a, that was a big one. You know, the thing about the first time that we had any connection, and I had any connection with football on Christmas, was in 2016 when we played the Bengals that night. And I was telling, Drew and I were talking about that. I think we remember the ending of the game, but I think what we forget is the lead-up to that game. It was assumed that Tennessee would go down to Jacksonville and win, that the game right. week 17 was going to be in Nashville for the AFC South. Mm -hmm. The Jags had fired Gus Bradley before they got on the plane to leave from Houston after we came back and beat them. We were down at 20 to seven or 20 to three. Brock threw three interceptions. Tom Savage brings us back. We win that game 21 20. And then Gus Bradley is fired. Jacksonville names Doug Marone, the interim head coach. And they knock off Tennessee that afternoon. So we, you know, it's Christmas Eve. So my wife and I are trying to clean the house, get ready for Christmas, you know, afternoon and everything. And so we've got every TV in the house on the game. And so I was in the bedroom doing some stuff. My wife was in the kitchen. I would hear her kind of screech and scream about something. I'm like, what happened? She goes, the Jaguars scored. And so we're kind of living this like, oh my gosh, is Jackson going to pull this off? And then Mariota got hurt. Yeah. And you knew, you knew at that point, oh, the Jags are going to win this. We're dry. I remember driving to the stadium going, all we have to do is beat the Bengals. We just have to beat the Bengals and we can't score. Can't it's score. three to nothing at halftime. The Bengals have the lead. And then we started – in the second half, we started moving, but we still couldn't score. We got two field goals at six to three. Brandon LaFell takes that one to the house. And I'm like, we are going to lose this game 
to a Houstonian that just went 90 yards to the house. How is this going to happen? Then we score finally. We take the lead, and then it's on Randy Bullock's foot, and I go back to it like, a former Texan's going to beat us? This can't happen. And literally, that was my thought as I stood underneath the goalpost. I actually didn't stand underneath the goalpost. You know this. I go down when I'm on the sidelines. I stand between the sticks because I want to see it go over my head to know for sure to tell you. And I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm not watching this thing. I stood to the right of the upright about five feet. And that ball went right over my head. And I you pulled the, it. The electricity in the building at that particular moment was unbelievable. It was so good. It was so it was amazing. So and that was, that was my first experience with football on Christmas. And, I, you know, that game was late. You and I always talk after the game. Give me your obviously talk. I got home maybe like, I don't know, 1230-ish, yep. 1 o'clock. My wife was wrapping gifts, and I was so wired. We had all the lights off, Christmas tree, fireplace, and I just turned on the game and started watching the game at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and Paige jumped on the couch uh, next to me, and we just – she fell asleep as I'm watching the game. And it, literally that whole, I mean, 24-hour-plus span was just unbelievable. It was incredible. I had to come home and – put stuff together right yeah, you know yeah, some christmases are more elaborate than others and i don't yes my kids might be an earshot here so what i get home and my wife and her dad are trying to put together this air hockey table and it's not oh. going well it's like one in the morning and i'm like just leave leave me i was like nino brown leave me and i i put the thing together and um and I had a little bit of help, but I put the thing together. I did the finishing touches and got it done. I must've got to bed like four, you know, yeah, I'm wired yeah. anyway after a game like that. That was so exciting, but you're right. It was 12, 10, I believe. Yes. Yeah, 12, 10. Cause because, the extra point got blocked after the touchdown. Oh, the so Alfred blue touchdown run. Us. A What's field that? goal beats us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Be, yeah. Field, field goal wins the game. Oh. It's Savage's first start, right? The week yep. before he came off the bench and he played well against the Jags. He had yet to throw a touchdown pass though, right? That's wasn't right. it That's wasn't right. it true that it took him forever to throw that first touchdown pass? Because it just for whatever reason it wasn't happening. And, yeah. and you know, twelve ten, uh, he doesn't throw a TD pass. He gets the start. It's funny because Andre was saying, I don't know about the Savage. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was in that Bengals game because in the Jags game, he came in and he's slinging it. He dropped, yeah. a, he dropped a nugget to Wendell Williams. Remember him? Down the sideline, like right in front of me. And one of our photographers caught a picture. I think it was Mike Welsh. Caught a picture, and I'm like celebrating. Because I was so happy for Wendell because this story was amazing. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got Tom going. In that game, he was just firing. But against the yep. Bengals – you could start to see things like, uh-oh, he's holding it a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. The rush is getting to him. And then, uh, he, and then the following week, we're at Tennessee, and we start him in a game we don't need, and he gets concussed, and then Brock's back <laughs> in. And you know what happened at the half of that game. Oh, anyway, we're not going to get into that. But uh, that's, that's a Christmas memory for sure. Uh, Christmas Day in 2017, I want to forget that. Oh, forever. Against Pittsburgh. Forever. Uh, Hopkins had the amazing catch. I mean, that – and I think I said this in our staff meeting the other day that – even in a game that was a blowout loss, in a season that was a blowout record-wise at four and twelve, you still had something happen in the in that game yeah. that was one of the great moments as far as an individual athletic achievement. That catch because it made national TV commercials. Yeah. That hop catch, and I'm not going, you know, I'm so sad about Hopkins here on you, but you know, I kind of am. Yeah. But anyway, but I'm just pointing out that. You know, the Texans here at 4-10, and 10, you could have some moments here these last couple of weeks 
that could be huge still. You know, Watson could go off. You could have, you know, maybe Kahale Waring does something amazing. I don't know. Uh, you could have something that you take with you into the following year and beyond, even though your team is totally out of it right now. You, you know, it's, know? Funny. it's funny when you see something like that happen. And it's happened a lot with Hop. And, you know, it happened with, it happened with Deshaun, too. And I think that's one of the great things about live sports. I mean, look, you can watch it right. on TV. But now TVs, whatever service you have, you immediately can go back and watch something, like watch it again. But when you see it happen live, like right in front of you, it's almost like that moment vanishes. And you're like, no, 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 I want to see that again. Yeah. Like, so let me see that again. And, and, and the Buffalo play was, was a, a perfect example of that where Deshaun escapes and makes the throw. but you know, the catch against Pittsburgh on Christmas Day by Hop was, was one of those come like, wait a second. I've seen him do some, some miraculous things. Did he just pull that off? And you're like, wait a second. I wish I could see that again live because I want to see greatness again live. I mean, because it was – I think that's the best one he ever had. I think that and the Giants one. But you want to see – like, you see it happen live, and you're like, dang it. And luckily, obviously, we have video boards. You can see the replays and things like that. but. It just happens so fast, and you just see how great. And you're like, I was there to see that. And that's a memory we'll have. But, of course, the rest of the game, not, not so much. Not uh, so much. Not so much. But four years ago, on this day, that's one of the great memories I have. Ian, look, that 2016 team was flawed. We all know. It was not offensively great. We get it. But, man, that memory of – of seeing the game. And I told, I told this one, and you, you actually poked fun at me for this. Save, save that one for after the break, okay? Oh, okay, because I got a but, good one. But that, and that 2016 season, by the way, I, I still look at that as – that was a fun season. I know Brock and everything, but it was a winning season. You want a playoff game? My gosh. I mean, I'll take that this year. All right, next up, you're finishing that thought. We've got the deep album cuts of the Cincinnati memories. That's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Here on Texans Radio. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash buy beer online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. It's Texans Radio, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Okay, finish your thought. We were talking about the 2016 capper or uh, one of them, one of the final games on Christmas yeah. Eve four years ago tonight when the Texans beat the Bengals. But what else were you going to say? You know, we were talking about Hop a little while ago. Mm -hmm. And when they went to kick the field goal, I remember there being a timeout. And then I saw, I looked over to the sideline. You know, I'm just trying to pick up any kind of nugget during a timeout. I mean, you know right. that. I try, if I find something and I see something, I try and get it here. And I remember seeing the sideline, and I see Hopkins kind of winding his way, kind of working his way through the people pretty fast, putting on his helmet. And they put him in as the blocker. They tried to charge forward and then let him go up and try and block it. And 
So he's on the field. And so I didn't intend it. I just was more focused on, you know, where the football was. But then as soon as it's, oh, game's over. There was five seconds left, so that was the last play. Game over. Everybody's charging the field. Like, all of a sudden, he sees me. We, like, jump up and, like, hug. And so the next Monday in our department meeting, one one of our videographers happened to catch that moment. And he made it, like, uh, the Titanic music. <laughs> and it got building to that moment and showed us. And everybody just broke up laughing. But uh, it was that was such a unbelievable moment. And I don't know if Hop threw it off. I don't know if, if Bullock peaked and saw him or whatever. But he just pushed it. And maybe Hop wasn't up to push it. But I just remember running on the field that he was the first person I saw and just, like, jumped up and hugged and then just went crazy. It was just such a really cool moment to have that you know four years ago and I think the biggest thing I learned all that Mark was you just don't take that for granted you know you don't take a playoff season no matter how you get in you know I've thought about the NFC East this year and it doesn't matter how you get in if you get in at eight and eight or seven and nine who cares you won your division no matter how bad it is and you got a shot to go to the dance and who knows what happens once you get in there you know so from that perspective you know anybody that oh you know division does look 15 and 16, not great teams. Oh, I'll understand they weren't going to win a championship. I get that. But still, to have those moments that we were able to have, the team was able to have, winning the division, the way we were able to do it in 15 and 16, and I'm not going to – I don't think anybody should have to apologize for that at all because that 2016, if you were in the building that, 20, that night, that was the best 12-10 game you ever saw. It was fantastic. It, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You know, it's funny, prepping for the Bengals, the last three games, the Bengals have not been able to score more than 10 points against the Texans, but the Texans have not been able to score more than 13 right. against the Bengals. I mean, they've been such low-scoring affairs. That Monday nighter, we always talk about it, 10-6. And by the way, um, I wrote a piece yesterday on, you know, on all the Bengals memories, and I, I said, I still think that the Monday night football game with the Hopkins catch right in front of you off the arm of yeah. Yates is the biggest catch of his career. And I'll stand by that because that what it meant, it turned around the whole season. It gave everybody a shot in the arm. It helped you win that football game, and that was the only touchdown of the game. And look, they were 2-5. and five. They won a division. So I think that's the biggest one. We could talk about hop spins. That was huge as well. Uh, but they could, you know, they could possibly still win that game or tie it and end up going to the playoffs anyway. I think without that hop catch Monday night football against the Bengals, they're not going anywhere. So um, I'll stand by that. But other ones that are big, not, not necessarily big, I, I go deep album cuts. You know, the Texans, everyone thinks they own the Bengals, and they kind of do lately, let's be honest, all right? Yeah. The one loss in relatively recent years is the 2014 game. But, Johnny, that was Ryan Mallett's second start. Remember how high we were on the yeah. Mallet train. I'm mixing metaphors here. But we were so happy about Mallet beating Cleveland yeah. in Cleveland in his first start. He comes home. We're like, we got a quarterback now, maybe. And yeah. no, we don't because he tore his pack or whatever, and he's not playing well, and he's gone. And he would start again for the Texans the following year, but it was never the same. I really – I would love to know what would have happened to his career had he not had that injury – and played better on that day. That day alone. That yeah. day alone. And somehow you beat the Bengals. You're two and two, and he's still going, and he's locked in. I would love to know what would have happened to his career and yeah. the franchise as well. Yeah, no doubt. And it's so you know, Drew and I met, we're talking about that the week before. I, you know, I think what made that that game such a, a downer. You talk about it, the highs and the lows of this thing. In 2014, when we went to Cleveland the week before, we'd come on out of the bye. 
We go to Cleveland. Cleveland was six and three at the time. And Mike Pettin was the coach and, and Kyle Shanahan was the coordinator. And wow. it looked like, holy smokes, man, they, they could be doing something. They were doing it with Brian Hoyer and thought, man, whole, the Browns were favored against us. But we were starting Mallet. Everybody was excited about that. And then we proceed to pound the Browns. Mm-hmm. JJ has that catch. Mallet plays well through a couple touchdowns. Do that one to JJ, one to Garrett Graham. Alfred Blue had 150 yards rushing or whatever it was. And we pounded him. And I remember getting on the plane, and the plane was sort of raucous. And yeah. then Sean Hayes, our assistant strength conditioning coach, got on the mic and started doing Randy Macho Man Savage. The plane is breaking up like, oh, we got this thing. It's the Bengals. Mallet's going to be a second start at home. We're gonna, people are going to go crazy. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, that game goes sideways. Yep. It goes sideways. And you we're just like, never know. Oh, my gosh. What, what's going on? And then we find out that next day, Ryan Mallet's to- Ryan Mallet tore his peck. He's done for the year. And we're like, Huh? What's going on? And so that Bengals game, from the highs of the last eight out of nine that we've had against the Bengals, the low of that one loss to them was such a gut punch because all that went with it, man. Holy cow. That was a rough one. I'll tell you, the the Bengals also put on the Texans the first loss in the history of the franchise that I was really disappointed in. I mean, early on, of course, you beat the Cowboys week one, week two. We always talk about it. You went to the Chargers, nine yeah. sacks on David. You lose the game. Not that that wasn't disappointing, but you, you knew the Texans were going to lose a lot of games. Expansion sure. team, you just felt like that was coming in, in many different ways. But the Bengals game at home was week eight, uh, year one, week eight. In week seven, the Texans beat the Jags on the road for their first ever road victory of any kind and went to two and five. And I thought, okay. And Dom Capers is showing me all this stuff. He's got charts and graphs like teams that are three and five and what you can do from there. And, oh, my gosh, it's not over and you have a chance. So I was thinking the Bengals at the time were winless. John Kitna, quarterback, they're winless. And I'm thinking, we got two wins. We should be able to handle this thing, right? Should yeah. be able to be just as good as them. And the Texans lose 38-3. to So, oh. you ju- and that was really crushing because I thought they had a legit shot to at least be 3-5. and five. Who knows where it goes from there. But that was a, a major disappointment at the time. That was the first time I was really heartbroken about yeah. a loss uh, because everything's relative. Johnny, thanks so much for the time, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. To you as well, Mark. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, we've got a lot of stuff going on. D.P. Sidhu catches up with Chad Hansen and Drew Doherty with Kahale Waring and much more coming up on Texans All Access Christmas Eve edition. Eve edition. Hello, Texans. Hour two of this Christmas Eve bonus edition of Texans All Access. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy holidays. We hope you're enjoying them. And great to have you listening tonight. You're on your way somewhere to uh, spend some time with people or not, whatever the case may be. I've been alone on Christmas Eve before. Do I have to tell that story or those stories? No. I've worked on plenty of Christmas Eve, and even before I was in this business, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, bartending and stuff in college just to get a few bucks and get through school. Uh, we've all had to do it at some point in our lives, and maybe, uh, maybe you enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool uh, to be out there and 
you sort of have a special kind of Christmas with people that you're working with. And uh, I hope whatever you're, whatever it is you're doing tonight, I hope it's going smoothly. I know a lot of people who are working are listening to this program. So Merry Christmas to you, and we really do appreciate all your efforts, especially during this very challenging year for us all. All right, let's get to some fun stuff here with Kahale Waring, tight end for your Texans. couple of catches last week really started to uh, make some noise here. That's what you want to see. Drafted in the third round in 2019. We all know the story. Great practice session at Green Bay. Gets concussed. Never sees the field in 2019. Probably could have with relaxed IR rules similar to this year. That would have helped. Also, the tight ends were playing great, and I don't think there was any rush to get him back last year. Sort of a redshirt year for him. But this year, finally on the field doing some business. So let's get to Drew Doherty's dozen questions. This is fun stuff with Drew. Listen in. Time now for Drew's Dozen, and for that, we're turning to tight end Kahale Waring. It's the first time he's done a Drew's Dozen. So, Kahale, thank you for answering these 12 questions. And let's start first. You have a cool first name. It's not one of those boring biblical first names like Andrew, which is mine, or John, or or James, or whatever. It's Kahale. Tell us about Kahale. What's that mean? So, my whole first name is Kahale Kuyokwani. It means 30 House of the Heavens, wine. I didn't pick it, so... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah my dad's from from hawaii mom's from northern california but it was always fun visiting him when i was younger yeah do you have you gotten a chance to go to hawaii often yeah uh growing up but once you know sports continued to get more and more important all these sports these days are year round and stuff so kind of had to stay home i've been lucky enough to go twice and i can't wait to go back again i love hawaii I always love talking about Hawaii with Kaini Fairbairn. Do you guys yeah. chit-chat about Hawaii from time to time? Yeah, we actually have some family that know each other in, uh, in Hawaii. My Aunt Kalei, good friends with, with some of his family. So it's kind of fun to interact and talk to my family. He talks to his and stuff. So, Have you ever had a chance to eat Spam Musubi? Oh, yeah. Huge fan. <laughs> huge fan. <laughs> Is that not the best? Like You, you hear it and you're like, oh, that, that can't be any good. And then you taste it and it's like... Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> yeah, especially if you go to uh what the seven eleven, it's a ninety-nine cents. Let's go get a few and you're set, you're set for lunch. Yeah, about a decade ago, uh, I got to cover the Pro Bowl in Hawaii and a, one of the guys who used to work here, he had lived in Hawaii when he was growing up for a bit, and he's like, dude, trust me, let's try this. So I tried it on the first day, and then the rest of the time we were there, we'd eat a spam musubi or two and a Diet Dr. Pepper on the way to the morning practice. That was when I was about 10, 15 pounds heavier, so uh, you can see why. But uh, that's good stuff. Okay, no more spam musubi talk. Let's chit-chat about water polo. You played it in high school. How rugged a sport is water polo? It's, it's intense. There's a lot of stuff that goes on under the water that you know you can't always see because splashing or you just can't really see under the water. So... It's good. It'll, it'll test how hard things are. So, Okay, I've heard stories, and I think you just kind of gave the nice uh, PG version of stuff that goes on under the water. What goes on under the water? There's jabs. There's, you know, people digging their feet in your suit and, like, pushing off you to get, get the advantage. It just it's can, it can be intense. So you have to try it out for yourself one, one of these days. Uh, I'll, <laughs> just, I'll just stick to the swimming, which you also you got to do a lot of to, to stay in shape for that. What was a typical yeah. practice like? I mean, what, what all would you all have to do? Shoot, you get there, 
we normally had a practice in the morning before school where we'd get our swimming in. So we'd have to swim a certain distance. And then after school, we'd come in and we'd uh, then we'd have our practice shots on goal, uh, moving the ball, all just di all different things. And those morning swim practices, you're going a, a few miles a day, aren't you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a bit. It'll, it'll get you in good shape. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. But yeah. you can also play basketball, too. What was your basketball career like? Because mm -hmm. I've seen the, the videos of you dunking and doing, like, 360s and stuff. Yeah, my stepdad, who I grew up with since I was two, he's the varsity basketball coach at my high school. So um, it's always been before, before school, you're in the gym getting up a certain amount of shots. After, you're, you know, you have practice and travel ball. He was my travel ball coach for a good chunk of it, too. So I learned a lot. I, you know, your athleticism translates you know, from basketball to football pretty well, just seeing the ball going up and making catches. So, No doubt. Man, so if your stepdad was the varsity coach, you just talked about it, you mm -hmm. were kind of forced, and it was almost like a natural thing, to be a gym rat, weren't you? Yeah. Do you think that's yeah. a big reason for some of your success? Oh, yeah, 100%. Especially come from a small town, you know, there's not – it's not San Diego, like where I went to school where you got the beach and everything, you know, <laughs> you've, you got your sports, you got your school go home get a good night's sleep and redo it so it's good clean living right there yeah. all right tell me about your favorite all-time athlete who is it or was it so it's definitely been uh rob gronkowski okay ever since i started playing football and learned learned football learned about the tight end position first thing i googled when i heard about the tight end and stuff first thing that pops up when you google I, rob gronkowski um, everything he's done. So since that moment, I've watched every single thing there is to watch on Gronk and studied him inside and out in War 87 college. He's just been a big, big uh, favorite of mine since since I started playing the game. You ever had a chance to meet him? I've not. Well, maybe someday you will. I have, I have talked to him briefly on FaceTime because I have a good friend, Sean Bunting, that plays on the Bucks. Put me on FaceTime for a second, but it wasn't too long. So maybe I'll get to meet him in person someday. Well, if you've watched all his tape, then you can understand why I, whenever the Texans played him, mm -hmm. whenever the ball was going his way, he's one of those like three or four guys that I've covered that is a hold your breath guy because it's like <laughs> the ball's going his way, nothing good's going to happen for the Texans if that, you know, I mean, he's, he's yeah. one of those guys that just, when it goes his way, bad things are going to happen, right? So he's your favorite athlete. What's your favorite holiday of all time? Holiday? Shoot. I mean, you can't go wrong Christmas coming, coming around the corner. Family gets together. Everybody's exchanging gifts. Always a good, always a good dinner. Can't go wrong. Um, what, big fan of Christmas. What's on the perfect dinner plate at Christmas dinner? Mm, that's tough. I mean, definitely some, definitely got to have the ham, turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy. I mean, I know it's not Thanksgiving, but it doesn't, doesn't hurt to have it. So yeah, that works. That's all lots, of, lots of gains for, for the week. <laughs> coach can't get mad at me for not being on my weight <laughs> there you go all right well christmas is the favorite holiday what's your favorite what was the best christmas gift you ever got best christmas gift that's tough i have honestly i've received a rob gronkowski jersey when i was a senior in high school can't lie i wasn't excited about that if you want to throw it back to the favorite athlete <laughs> but okay. um i've always had good christmases with my family can't complain we all like to take care of each other so all right well kahali wearing we appreciate the time best mm -hmm. of luck in the rest of the season merry christmas to you hope you have a good one hope you get a, a jersey or a gift that you really love and uh, we'll talk to you again very very soon sound good 
Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. There's Drew Doherty with Kahale Waring, Texans tight end. Now, let's get to another pass catcher. This one, a wide receiver, Chad Hansen. And you know his story a little bit by now. My gosh, three games in a row he's done business uh, as a receiver, really making some noise, like we said, as Waring is, but Hansen bigger, okay? Goes for over the century mark in his first game as a Texan. Last week caught his first career touchdown a 38 yarder off the arm of Deshaun Watson and Waring's been in the league for a while 2017 he was a draft choice fourth rounder uh, was with the Jets played a little bit with them in 2017 did not see the field in a regular NFL game until this year how about that and you've heard the stories about he and Watson working out in the offseason with other guys and also we mentioned this during our training camp shows, we were mentioning it live. That's why you got to listen to those. We talked about Hanson and how good he looked out there, but we were thinking afterthought, really, because you got Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb and Kenny Stills and Will Fuller. You had all these guys way in front of him. You still had QT. You still had DeAndre Carter. But Hanson looks good out there. Well, he looks really good. He looks like he can play for a long time in this league, actually. We'll see how it goes with him. But D.P. Sidhu, the deep slant interview presented by Xfinity. She will hurt me if I don't say that. Uh, emotionally, that is. So let's get to it. The deep slant interview, D.P. Sidhu and Chad Hansen. Chad, I guess I have to start with the touchdown catch, first of all, your first career NFL touchdown. And I heard that on the sideline when you scored, there was pandemonium, like teammates Hmm. running down the sideline, wanting to congratulate you, both offensive, defensive players. Uh, How cool was that moment for you and getting to celebrate it with your teammates like that? I mean, you know, it was my fourth year in the league and my first NFL touchdown. So they knew how much it meant to me. And, you know, it was just it was just awesome being able to celebrate with everybody on the sideline going, you know, you know, you're just so you're out of breath because you're, you've been celebrating on the field with your teammates. You come off and, and everybody mobs you. It's the best feeling in the world. It was awesome. Deshaun said he was so excited for you as well. He said that he was just worried that you might run out of bounds first before you actually scored. So what was going through your head the whole time? I mean, that's a big moment for an NFL receiver. You had to wait a long time to get there. So was there nerves? What what was going on in your mind? Well, I mean, I I think I played enough football over the first, um, you know, three games to, you know, there's no nerves. I knew what I was supposed to do. um, But, but they called that play and I knew, um, with the coverage that the Colts run. Um, I saw the backside and the corner and the safety run with Brandon, and I knew I was going to be wide open, you know, because I was just filling that void. Um, but I was running across looking at Deshaun, and he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at Brandon, and I was kind of worried. I was like, I've been running for kind of kind of a while. So, um, yeah, he, he led me inside with the ball because I think I probably would have run out of bounds. <laughs> but uh, he led me back inside. I caught it, and uh, – jogged in the end zone it was it was one of the coolest feelings ever yeah all right so where's the uh ball now i imagine you're gonna keep it forever and mm-hmm. ever but well i mean depending on when this airs uh my girlfriend's birthday is today so i kind of i wrapped it up in a box and she's gonna open it so she's been with me through the full for, through the full four years moving around and um you know throwing me tennis balls and being my trainer and all that stuff so We actually gave your girlfriend a shout out on our pregame show because uh, our producer, Tyler, saw that on TikTok, uh, she didn't get a shout out for being the one to drive you to all those off-season practices with Deshaun. (laughs) So we felt like we had to give her some credit. Yeah, yeah, she wanted (laughs) – that's funny. I know the video you're talking about. Yeah, she wanted that shout out. I didn't give it to her. (laughs) She was kind of upset. 
I think we're two yeah. now for her. So hopefully yeah. that makes up for it a little bit. So let's talk yeah. about that off season because I think that's probably one of the most talked about things. Every time we talk about you and, and how good you looked in training camp, it kind of went back to the off season about how you followed Deshaun around different States. You worked out with him. What was that like? Because do you ask Deshaun like, Hey, where are you going to be? And you, you sync up with him. How was that plan made? And then how did you decide that you're going to go with him to different locations and, and, and throw, throw the ball with him? Well, I mean, last year I was on the practice squad all year, so I didn't really have that good of a relationship with him. Um, and I knew going into the next season that if I wanted to be, you know, playing, I needed to have a, a good relationship with Deshaun, you know, because he's a starting quarterback and you need, you know, the receiver quarterback trust is the biggest thing that you could have. So um, I knew that was a big thing. Um, so I would I would hit him up, you know, hey, what are you thinking about? You know, when are you throwing or, you know, what you're doing? And, and you know, he'd text me back where he was, what he's going to be doing, throwing. So, um you know, I just always made myself available and, and would fly, you know, here because I, I trained in the off season in, in Southern California. Um, but I would fly back here and throw with them, went to Arizona with them. So, um, you know, just those reps uh, before training camp were, were huge for me. Um, you know, and I, I obviously I hadn't had many reps with him the, the previous season. So getting on the same page, the timing and all that helped going into the season. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned being on the practice squad. So obviously you're not catching passes from from Deshaun and during those practices you're on scout team or you're working with second, third team uh, quarterbacks. But what's what are sort of the things that you felt like you got better at? You, you mentioned timing and chemistry, but what's that conversation like with Deshaun when you're out there practicing, like what he wants to see from you and, and what you need to give him to sort of get on the same page, like the way you guys are now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean – there's always there's always a route drawn on the paper, you know, a certain depth, you know, a certain way to run it. But, you know, football is always changing and it's, you know, reacting to how the defense plays. And and that's really the biggest thing. And I think that that's that's why him and how him and Hop had such a good connection. They always knew where each other was going to be. And, and I wanted that with with me and Deshaun and, and being able to talk to him and, um you know, seeing, seeing what he saw uh, on different coverages and, and, you know, just we talk about seeing the play through one set of eyes and, you know, being, being the quarterback's eyes and being able to, you know, be in the right spot at the right time. I feel like I've heard the word confidence a lot with you this, this season. Tim mm -hmm. Kelly has mentioned it. Deshaun's mentioned it, that you're just playing with a lot of confidence. And I imagine that's got to be because you got those extra reps. But what is that like during the first part of the season when – You've had so much work with him this offseason and in training camp. And then the first part of the season, most of the first part of the season, you're on the practice squad. And now mm -hmm. you're actually on the active roster. So do you do you fall back a little bit or is it sort of like riding a bike that once you're back out there catching passes from him, it's you, you kind of pick up where you left off? What is that whole process like for you? Yeah, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, the confidence definitely takes a blow when you when you're cut at the end at the beginning of the season and the training camp. Um, you know, and, and being on the practice squad, not getting as many reps uh, in practice with the, with the first team. And um, yeah, but I, I knew that once I got my opportunity, um, I would be ready because I knew I could play at this level. I knew I could play against anybody. So um, when I did get that shot against Indy, I wasn't nervous because, you know, I mean, I think partly because, you know, Deshaun is so, you know, calm in the huddle. It kind of, kind of puts everybody at ease a little bit. So, 
I know that I can go out and make plays and, and him throwing me the, throwing me the ball um, shows me that, that he trusts me. And so, you know, I just make the plays that come to me. That's all I can do. So, you know, I, I think that confidence snapped right back once I stepped on the field for the first time. I think a lot of people don't know your journey into the NFL. Obviously, you've been with the Texans for the last two seasons. So you were on mm -hmm. the practice squad in 2019 and practice squad until you were on the active roster this year. But walk us through, if you can, you know, what it's been like for you getting into the NFL and how many different teams you've been through for those first two or three seasons that you were in the league. Yeah, I mean, it has been a long journey. But uh, so I was drafted to the Jets in 2017, um, played there for a year. Uh, actually with Josh McCown. Uh, Josh McCown was my quarterback there. It's kind of funny, but um, so I was released my second year after training camp there. Uh, claimed the first week to the Patriots. Was there with the Patriots for two weeks uh, on the active roster. Was released there. Um, picked up by the Tennessee Titans uh, probably a couple weeks later. Um, was with Tennessee for a month. Released there. Um, and then picked up by Denver's practice squad probably around week eight of 2018, finished out the season there, um, went through all of OTAs uh, with Denver, was released there in the spring of 2019, was picked up uh, onto the roster, like, you know, the off-season roster by the, by the Saints, came in for training camp there, first day going through medicals and physicals and stuff they brought me in the office released me so I was fortunately picked up here I think two or three days later so it was the fourth day of camp here picked up here uh, last you know, 2019 training camp and then I've been here ever since it really is a case of perseverance <laughs> I mean you cannot be an impatient person to go through this process and what you've been through. I, I was looking at your college career. It seems like it, it sort of mirrored that a little bit. Like you just have this perseverance in you, right? Because you grew up in California you wanted to go to school in California, but even that was a little bit of a winding road. Was it not? You, you started off at Idaho state and then, and then tell me about that and how, how you ended up back in California again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I kind of matured late. So uh, I was, I was kind of behind the curve in high school a little bit. Um, I didn't really have a, a great high school career until my senior year. So I had a good senior year in high school, um, one of the better conferences in Cal high school conferences in California. Um, my only offer was to Idaho State, and that was late in the recruiting process. I think pretty pretty close to signing day. So I didn't really know what I was going to do. Uh, I got that. I got a full ride there, so I, I decided that that was probably best. You know, that, that was a school that wanted me. I went there. Started my freshman year, had had a good year, I, had, I think 500 yards, but I knew that I wouldn't be happy there if I knew or, or, or not trying at least to play at a higher level. Because I thought, you know, playing against some of the kids in high school that went to the highest level, you know, I thought that I would be able to play there. So that spring after my freshman year at Idaho State, I decided to start putting out emails to, you know, transfer. And so... Uh, went through that whole process. That was kind of was kind of a terrible process, honestly. It kind of sucks, but thankfully I found a home in Cal. Uh, walked on at Cal, had to redshirt, and then uh, played a little bit my second year behind some of the receivers that we had uh, with Jared Goff. And then my redshirt junior year is when I was able to have a breakout season and play 
uh, with Davis Webb. So that was, it was kind of a crazy journey there. Uh, like you were saying, a little bit of perseverance and um, not giving up, but you know, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. So. Well, it, here you are on the active roster. And I think that Romeo Cornell has been asked about it the last few weeks, especially after your first game against Indy um, about putting you on the 53 man roster, because the way things are right now through COVID, you get placed on the active roster for game day, then you revert back to the practice squad. So you have this fantastic game against the Colts here at NRG stadium. And then you go back to the practice squad and then you're brought up again against the bears and you go back down to practice squad. Well, now you're actually on the active roster because you know, you've shown that consistency. So what is that like for you? I, I can't imagine being in the league for four years and waiting this long to have that opportunity, but does it feel any different? I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is like when I had an internship and I finally got a full-time job at a company and it felt like, I felt like when I walked in the door, things were just a little bit different, even though it really wasn't, but can you describe what the feeling's like for you now just being on the active roster? I think, I mean, I think that's probably a good analogy, internship to a, to a full job offer. But yeah, I, I'd say I'd say it's a little bit different as in, you know, you have that trust. You have a little bit of, uh, you, you kind of know that you're going to be here for a little bit instead of, you know, being on the practice squad. It's kind of like a week to week thing. But yeah, signing to the active roster is a big thing for me because... I haven't, I haven't signed to an active roster since my first year, you know, three years ago. So uh, that was a cool moment for me and my family. And, you know, just, just a culmination of, of a lot of hard work and, and perseverance and, you know, just staying with it. Well, we've been really excited to watch your journey from practice squad to active roster to your first active game to your first touchdown. So there's a little bit of season left. What, how do you hope to build on what you've started so far and, and, and get even better now for the future? Yeah, well, I mean, I just, I just want to continue to have that trust from the coaching staff, from the front office, from, you know, anything that happens in the off season, you know, it's kind of up in the air right now. Nobody really knows what's going on. So I just want to put good stuff on film, you know, so I can go out there and I'm not just a flash in the pan, you know, three weeks, good games, and that's it. You know, I want to show that I can be consistent and continue to do what I've shown that I can do and that I know I can do so that I have that consistency that that this this league really is looking for. All right. We can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for the time. A pleasure speaking with you. Chad Hansen on the Deep Slant presented by Xfinity. Thanks so much, Chad. Yeah, thanks for having me. D.P. Sidhu and Chad Hansen here on Texans Radio, a special Christmas Eve edition of Texans All Access. Okay, coming up, Jamie Roots has a book out. You know about this, the winning game plan, really about the business side of sports. He digs deep into his life. I'm narrating it right now. I'll intro it next segment, and you can still pick it up tonight. You need to get a last-second gift for somebody. You can digitally Give them the book through Amazon. Very cool stuff. So Jamie Roots, we visited with him a while back. You're going to hear that next, among other things, before the close of business tonight on Christmas Eve on Texans All Access. 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 Texans All Access, let's gear up with some Papa John's picks for $6. That's right, a variety of items for only $6 each. The Vander Kids are going to love this. Meatballs, chicken poppers, garlic knots, breadsticks, whatever you want. $6 each. Papa John's, no contact delivery available. Papa John's Houston, Houston owned and operated for 25 years. Order online at papajohns.com or on the app. It's Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer with you on a Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, everyone. And again, a shout-out to everyone working tonight on Christmas Eve. 
and we appreciate everything you're doing for whoever you're doing it for this evening. Okay, Jamie Roots, he's written the book, The Winning Game Plan, and it's really strategic business stuff, the business side of sports, great stories about the origins of the Texans and current goings-on with the Houston Texans. It's on Amazon, and look, you're looking for a last-minute gift tonight? Digitally give this to somebody. You can email them a link to the book, and it's so good. I mean, this is a great way to give somebody a last-second gift. So uh, check it out on Amazon, Jamie Roots, the winning game plan. Now, I caught up with him a while back to talk about the book, get into his life a little bit. We really had a good conversation. Let's listen in. Joining us right now is the president of the Houston Texans, Jamie Roots, and a new book authored by you, Jamie, called The Winning Game Plan. Welcome and congratulations on the book. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I know you're an author as well, and you've got one coming out. (laughs) Well, soon enough, soon enough. But we're here to talk about yours. And look, I love this idea because there's so much that goes on within the organization, operating the organization, that so many people never see and never know about but they feel the results, if you will, when they go to a Texans game. Why write the book? Tell us the reasoning. Well, I, I really wanted to share the, uh, the fundamental principles that have been so effective for us as an organization, and actually dating back to uh, running the Columbus crew in Major League Soccer, and in, in hopes that it could help folks in their leadership journey. Um, none of it's really revolutionary, it's uh, fairly uh, uh, fundamental, um, but I've spent a lot of time studying, reading, listening, interviewing, talking to leaders, and wanted to put that in one place so that uh, hopefully it can help folks to be better leaders because we, we, we all need better leaders in, uh, in society. Well, speaking of leadership, uh, you've had to be at your very best in this last year, the last nine months or so. Obviously, every year is a challenge in every business, professional sports included. But this year, with the coronavirus pandemic, how has it been different? Take us through a little bit of that journey, operating the business successfully through everything we've been experiencing. Well, I'll tell you, just the, I mean, there, there's some things that I've had to do to, uh, to transition our organization to get us refocused on a revised set of uh, priorities, really. But the most important thing has been uh, the the people that we have within our organization, the talent within the Houston Texans, the culture that we have that is so resilient, and our you know our focus on our purpose of uh, you know, winning championships, uh, creating memorable experiences, and doing great things. For Houston. The other thing that is really important is the relationships that we've built over a long period of time and our ability to preserve those through this situation has been absolutely critical. That's been our focus. There are two things when I talk about the machine of the Houston Texans, there are two things that are so critically important. The people that work within our organization and the relationships that we have within our community. That's the machine. And so we've worked very hard this year to protect the machine. How has operating through other adverse situations in the history of the Texans, numerous hurricanes, other instances, how has that helped you now? What are some of the things you've learned along the way that maybe can benefit everybody? Yeah, well, anytime you're facing adversity, there are a couple of things that are really important. And I talk about it in the book. Number one is you got to you have to push back. You have to say, I am not giving in to this challenge. 
Number two is you have to be positively focused. And you've heard that phrase a lot. You really embrace the positive within the situation that you're in and focus on the things that you can control. If you can't control it, don't worry about it. Just mm-hmm. focus on what you can control. Number three is to believe. You know, we can't overcome this. Uh, Walt Disney was, uh, was, uh, was uh, positioned as a, uh, when he, well, he was interviewing for a job at a newspaper and they did not get the job because he had no original ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but he believed in himself and he kept going and it was really, I mean, that's, that's what you have to do. And then number three, uh, number four is just persevere. You know, you just have to keep going. The uh, uh, the difference between winning and losing is so often, you know, how long you give it before you give up. And just so just keep going. And these are all basic things, but these are things that we've learned through the adversity that we've faced as an organization. Unfortunately, this has been about seven months, a hurricane that lasted seven months. Yeah. And so we've had to really be very disciplined in our application of those uh those uh, uh, adversity uh, plays. Well, and and we're still kind of in the storm right now, so let's hope it ends soon. Jamie Roots joining us, author of The Winning Game Plan. All right, uh, those of us who know you know your story, and it's so interesting. How much of this do you share? And go ahead and share some of it right now. Why did you decide and how did you decide to work in sports? Yeah, well, um, I will share, I'll share a little, I share a little bit in the book, but more importantly, I really wanted to make sure that the uh, ideas Mm -hmm. that can be effective for people are what is down on paper, right? So there's not, there's not a ton of it. I I decided to work in sports because athletic competition has been so central to my life. I mean, from the time that I was a kid through college, uh, I left and I worked in a traditional business. I really tried, I promise. to be in a traditional business. I was at IBM for several years. It, it didn't, didn't really take, I was at Procter and Gamble. It didn't really inspire me. And so, um, and it's not that those are not great organizations. They're great companies, both of them leading in their industries. Right. But I, I really, I just, there's something about athletic competition, the drama and, and, and you and I align on this, the yeah. drama the uh, the excitement, the energy, the even if you lose, it's better than being in the middle. Even mm-hmm. if you you know, even if yeah. you're at the depths of your sorrow, it's better than just being monotone day after day. And so that, that that's just something that was uh, important to me. And uh, while my uh, approach to running the Houston Texans has always been very much, you know. Uh, Wall Street Journal, best practice business application. Um, I couldn't do it in a, in a traditional business. It had to be something that gave me that level of energy and passion and excitement. Well, those of us in the building know that you, you shape the entire business out of the operation like a team, like a gigantic team. And you were on such a successful team, multiple teams in soccer at Clemson, winning two national championships. 
I know you're very humble about it. If it were me, I'd wear a hat that said that and I'd walk around every day like that. But tell us what you learned from there. I know it's got to be a lot of things, but a couple of central ideas that you learned playing on championship teams that apply to what you're doing today and what everybody can use out there. Yeah, so uh, it was uh, 1987, and I was on a bus riding to the, uh, to the national championship game. And I was with my best friend, uh, Paul Rutenis. And Paul said to me, uh, Jamie, we have to play the game anyway. We might as well win it. <laughs> and at that moment, it really struck me. And we did. We, and we won it. And we won. We were champions. But it, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? We had overcome being the last team selected in the NCAA tournament. We had to go on the road to Evansville, to Indiana, that had never lost in the playoffs at home. Had to go to Rutgers with Lexi Lalas. Wow. And then and then we're playing in the championship game after beating North Carolina, who had beaten us 4-0 during the season. If we don't win this game, we walk away with nothing. Mm. You have to commit to winning. It's an attitude. It's not, I mean, yeah, you can't win every time. But every time you step on the field, every time you go into the boardroom, Every time you have a negotiation, play to win. Mm -hmm. Whatever that outcome is that you're looking for, commit to it. You may not get it, but if you don't commit to it, if you're wishy-washy, if you're not really clear about what you want, you're never going to be successful. Right. So commit to what you want and go make it happen. And that is the most important thing that came out of the time that I spent at Clemson. All right, you talked about what you learned from your best friend, Paul, and that seems to stay with you. And I know you learn from everybody you talk to, uh, but give us a couple of key influences in your life, people that you've interacted with, worked with, that have been big influences on you and the way you operate, Jamie. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the, the three most important were, number one, at Indiana University when I was uh, uh, you know, worked with the, the team and got my MBA, uh, Jerry Yagley. That Jerry Yeagley was a head men's soccer coach there. And just the way that he conducted himself and the way that he organized the program, it isn't about your, your, um, your environment. You can create something truly world-class wherever you are. I mean, it's not like the soccer program at Indiana University was, I mean, it's not changing people's lives. But the way that Yeags ran it, incredible respect. You just, mm -hmm. I mean, you just had to, you had to respect it. You had to revere it. The principles that he used were so effective. And then going to Columbus uh, with the Columbus crew, uh, Lamar Hunt, the guy with the highest integrity. I mean, the most humble man maybe I've ever met in my life. I mean, somebody had, you know, as successful as he's been to be that humble was really remarkable. And uh, at his, uh, as, uh, at the service at the end of his life, one of his friends, uh, Jack Stedman, got up and said, when God made man, he had Lamar Hunt in mind. Wow. And there's not a better statement about that man. And then, of course, Bob McNair, who I have dedicated th this book to, mm. uh, you know, just he changed my life. He changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life. He taught me so much. In fact, I told someone, um, actually, I told him 
the last time we visited before he passed away, that uh, the uh, Bible, the Bible and church is all about providing you a guide to live. Okay. You want to live a Christ-like life and nobody can ever live to that standard, but nobody's ever embraced that more or been more effective at it than Bob McNair. A remarkable man, no question about it. So missed. Okay, Christmas Eve edition of Texans All Access continues. More with Jamie Roots coming up after the break. Let's get into some personal advice. How about that? We could all use some. Merry Christmas, Texans Radio. Christmas Eve edition of Texans All Access continues and our conversation with Jamie Roots that we actually had a while back about his book, The Winning Game Plan, but about so much more than the book. It's about the Houston Texans. It's really stuff in the book, okay? But that's why you got to go out and get the book on Amazon. Great last-minute gift idea. Just buy it on Amazon. You can send the link to anybody, okay? They have ways you can do this. Just trust me. Go to their website, which I think gets a little bit of traffic this time of year. Anyway, back to our conversation with Jamie, and this is a great question about professional football, and what do people not understand about running a football franchise? We see the players, and we talk about coach and GM and everything, and everything the Texans are going through right now, but what do folks not understand about the inner workings of running a football franchise. Yeah, I think most importantly that I love football. Mm -hmm. I I watch football on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If they're going to show it on Tuesday, I'm going to watch it too. (laughs) But very little of our success has to do with what you see on the football field. Mm -hmm. uh, Our success is driven by our ability to, to create an environment for our fans that, is unavailable anywhere else. The, the ability to bring people together, to share their company, to provide a level of energy and excitement. And they, you have to be committed to winning. But it isn't about winning. It's about, it's about the community looking at this franchise and seeing themselves in us. And if we can do that well, we can withstand whatever happens on the football field. Now, if you go 0-16 for 10 years, people are probably going to check out. But then what kicks in there is our commitment to winning. If you're committed to winning, you're probably not going to go in 0-16, right? You're going to take the corrective actions to get yourself in a better place. But it isn't all about that. I've heard people say, if we win, everything will take care of itself. That's not true. That's not true. What is true is – be a, a, an, a, an organization that the community can see themselves in and do great things for your community. If we do those two things really well, we'll be successful. Well, and you need the right people on your roster. So give us a couple of tidbits on the hiring philosophy of you and the Houston Texans, how you operate. Yeah, well, um, not, nothing that we do. I mean, we're not, we're not NASA. Okay, we're not we're not we're not the uh, uh, you know CDC. We don't need rocket science scientists, right? So we, what we need is people that that have three things: the fundamental non-negotiables, people with a great work ethic, because unfortunately, to do what we do, it takes a lot of time. Okay, mm-hmm. you have to be committed to it. Number two 
is a winning attitude, positive, optimistic, team-oriented. You got to like people. You have to be one of those type of people to be successful with the Houston Texans. And number three is uh, you have to be interested in operating in a manner consistent with our values. Be innovative. Be memorable. Be passionate. Be accountable. Be courageous. Be a team player. And if you have those three things, you can be successful at the Houston Texans. As I think back at all the people that we have had to part ways with, rarely does it have to do with your performance. Almost always it has to do with attitude, work ethic, values alignment. Mm, That's great stuff. And it sounds like you'll be successful in pretty much anything if you operate that way, if you conduct yourself. It's available. Let me tell you, attitude and work ethic is available to everyone. (laughs) You just have to choose to to do it. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot of great stuff in this book, and a lot of people are going to benefit from it, and it's exciting. Do you talk about the the birth of the franchise and Mr. McNair? And and I've read excerpts of the book, but not the entire thing yet. Yeah, well, one of the more um, emotional stories is when when Bob McNair passed. And while, you know, it it does weigh heavy on my heart, just that, that, that window of time, it was so incredibly gratifying to see the response of our organization to that, to have to put together, you know, in a flash, a remembrance for Bob on uh, Monday night football, and then to host a celebration of his life at NRG stadium. Uh, part of me was concerned that we couldn't handle all of that. But in the instance, when I was asked, you know, can we make that happen? I saw your face, I saw John Schriever, and I saw Disney Harris, and I saw all the people that would have to be a part of that. And everyone shaking their head, I got it, we, we got this. And it, 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 just, it just was another, um, uh, another reminder of the whatever it takes attitude that exists within our building. And that doesn't happen overnight, you know? I mean, you talked about handling adversity, once you hit adversity, if you don't have the right people, if you don't have the right culture, if they're not all bought in, you're toast. You, you are not going to be able to handle what, what comes. And fortunately for us, we have such incredibly talented and committed people that understand what we're trying to get accomplished and they buy in that whatever comes, I'm not concerned. We're going to be able to handle it. Jamie, thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you, Mark. Good to see you, buddy. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Jamie Roots, author of The Winning Game Plan. Hey, I want to thank John Harris and John McClain, who have been on the show tonight, and D.P. Sidhu and Drew Doherty for their contributions with Kahale Waring and Chad Hansen. It's been so much fun, and we wish you, our fans, our listeners, the very best Christmas ever, the very best holiday season possible. We love you. We appreciate you. Have a great night, and go Texans. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. 
Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. 